0: Okay, Psalm 24 is a psalm written by King David. This psalm tells about the brilliance of God and his character. If I asked you, who is God? Or if I asked you what God is like, we many times would have a false kind of opinion or thought about who God is and what God is really like. So, what's up, man? So many times we have that false opinion or thinking pattern of who God is. This psalm is bold and declaimed three things about who God is. They are, ready? Here's the three things. God is sovereign. Approaching God is a serious thing, and you must be holy to do it. God is the great king of glory who will conquer all. Let me say those three things again. I was kind of worried. Ready? God is sovereign, and I'll explain what that is again. Approaching God Is a serious thing, and you must be holy to do it. God is the great king of glory who will conquer all. Verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. See, the place you are sitting is private property. Brother Alex, you're saying I'm not welcome here? No, no, you're welcome here. But the place you're sitting is private property, and say, well, I don't wanna be on somebody else's private property, so I'm gonna go home. Well, that's private property, too. Well, Brother Alex, I I don't wanna be on somebody else's turf. If I'm not welcome here, and I'm not welcome at my house, then I'm gonna go in the middle of the ocean, and I'm gonna find a little island, and I'm gonna call it Cole's Island. And it's gonna be mine, and I'm gonna own it. And I'd say, that's private property, too. There's not a place you can go in all of this earth that is not owned by our Father. Yes. There's a song we sang Sunday, this is my Father's world. Mm. This everything. The earth is the Lord and the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. I would say there is no place or thing on this earth that is not private property that is rightfully owned by God. Everything belongs to God, all of it. Not just everything is owned by God, but everyone. Notice that, but everyone is owned by God. Every person belongs to God. And that's not to say everybody is saved. Let me say this, that people who are believers are twice owned by God. Those are cool boots. People that are believers are twice owned by God. We are gods by creation and then gods by redemption so here's a good illustration there was a little boy who made a ship you might have heard this illustration the story before there's a little boy who made a little wooden ship he spent weeks putting this little ship together he's eight years old and he loved this little ship And mmm, my favorite little ship's gonna win my race for me and he's practicing in the water and the wind is moving it and then a big wind comes and it blows the boat all the way down to the water he tried to catch it by the time he got down there it wasn't there anymore The next day, he was walking past the pawn shop and he saw his boat with his initials in the window of that pawn shop. The little boy goes inside and asks the man who owns the pawn shop, Sir, sir, how can I get my boat back? Because this is mine. See, I'll show you my initials. He said, sorry, son, I paid good money for that boat. If you're going to want it back, you're going to have to buy it back. That's pretty tough. Well, this little boy spent more weeks. Just working and working to earn money through chores to earn the money to buy his boat back. And somebody heard him as he was walking out with the boat that he made and the boat that he bought. He was walking down the sidewalk and someone overheard this Little boat, little boat, you're mine, you're mine. You're mine because I made you and you're mine because I paid for you. So we were all made by gods. But then we became part of the wrong family. We became children of the devil. By our own sin nature and our own sin choices. But Jesus Christ came and he died and he paid for our sins with his blood. So now you are twice owned. You're owned by creation. You're owned by redemption. But even unsaved people are at least owned by creation. Just like that little boy's boat was his just because he made it. You are God's just because he made you. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. God owns everything and everyone because he created all. We believe in this. God's right to do whatever he wants, with what he's created. We call that right the sovereignty of God. So in our constitution, our amendments, whatever, we have the, what's the second amendment? Someone tell me. Right the right to bear arms. Everybody in the South has that memorized by heart. And it's all written on bumper stickers on the back of our trucks, Right. So that, that, that is your Second Amendment right. God has a right. It is called His sovereignty. God, His right to do whatever He wants because it belongs to Him. And we already—if I were to go to the wood shop, let me say this. I got a cool story. I were to go to the wood shop and go inside and start working on my little wagon. For you guys who weren't here on Sunday, I had a wagon. Oh, I'm not very good at form working. So I go into this wood shop and you hear choo 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 ah because I hit my thumb on with my hammer. So choo, choo, ah! Sh- oh, get me a baby, sweetheart. And I come out with my wobbly wagon that's limp and it's going and it's literally wobbling as I as I pull it. Who owns that wagon? It's me, right? Because I made it. So it's my right. If I if I decided I wanted to stick my wagon in the refrigerator is there anything wrong with that no because it's mine i want to cover that wagon top to bottom chocolate syrup and then i wanted to spit on that wagon totally my right to do it why it's mine and nobody can tell me i can't do that with the wagon i brought into existence i wanted to stand on top Top of this chair, pick wagon up, Mufasa style, Ha ha so wake you morning to noon <in Spanish> And I already go, on the ground, it's shattered into millions of pieces. It's my wagon and it's my right to do that. So God has the right by his creation to do whatever God wants to do. Let me say that again. Since God made everything and he owns everything, He has the right to do whatever he wants with what belongs to him. And that brings us to two conclusions. Ready? God is very good to his creation, even though he has no obligation to be so. Let me say that again. God is good to his creation, even though he is not obligated to be so. God, he loves us, he gave his son for us, he gave us breath, he gave us the ability to be happy, he gave us joy and things that make us laughter, and nobody was twisting his arm to do it. God is the highest of the highest of the highest of the highest, and there is no higher. There's no one more powerful than him. He wasn't forced like, I only think it's right and fair. No, God's just good because God is nice. God is just good because God wants to be good. God is just nice and kind and loving because that's just who he is. He is love. He's awesome. God is so nice and good to us. The second conclusion we come to because of the sovereignty of God, when God does something that you think to be unfair, know that it is fair because he has every right to do what he wants. You may not think it's fair that your parents aren't like somebody else's parents. You may not think it's fair that you were born too short like Brother Alex or too tall like I said Sam on Sunday. You may not think it's fair that you were born in America and others were born in poverty in third world countries. I used to look at myself like, God, why did you give me America? And I get to have, you know, free Lay chips and nacho Doritos and I get to have whatever drinks I want and a refrigerator. And people in some third world countries will spend their whole life trying to save up to buy a bicycle and will never get one. I drive a car, and sometimes I complain about my car because it makes weird noises when I drive it. But I'm so blessed, and sometimes I look at myself because I didn't. Did I do anything to to earn being born in America? No, for sure I did not. And did they do anything wrong to earn being born in India or in China under communist rule where it's illegal to be a Christian? No, they didn't choose where they were born. Who chose? God chose. God chose, God elected his decision. But know this, it is fair because God loves every person on earth. I said God loves every person on earth and gives them only what is best for them and what works towards his divine purposes. David looks at this creator God and owner of all things and asks this question. Verse three, everybody look there. Verse three, he asks this question in response to this great God who owns everything and everyone, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? Yes, what kind of person could possibly go to the presence of this great Yahweh? That's what the all caps Lord means. Or who can stand before him? The God of all things who owns and has created everything is higher than us created beings. How can a little speck of dust quite literally go into his presence? This is a question of reverence. David acknowledges. That going before God is a serious, it's a serious thing. If we were all to go out and play football right now, right? and. We are all to go out there, and in, it's money right now. And we all, and we're gonna play two-hand touch. But because some people don't know how to play two-hand touch, probably Cole, you guys just start tackling instead. And like I touched him with two hands, and I shoved him to the ground. Right? I see him nodding over there, and that's that's how it works. And I'm getting muddy, and Cole's getting money, and Lauren's getting muddy, and Lauren's whooping all of us because she's gone. Odell Beckham Jr. one-hand catches. Right? And Miss Rebecca, she's got that mean look. She does the black paint on her face. She goes. And she, and and Mr. Re- and just taken us out. Miss Rebecca sh- puts a shoulder in my stomach, lifts me up, boom, on the ground. And we're all muddy. We're a mess. We're sweaty. And I am, like, hands on my knees. Uh, she got me real good. And I'm looking over in the parking lot, and I see a limousine. I'm a big limousine. It's got little England, UK flags on the ends. And I say, guys, I think that's the limousine for the king of England. Let's go see him. And we all just walk over, all together. Walking, and we open the door of this limousine. Cole goes first, and he sits in there with his muddy self and goes, Ain't no way. And he just, he just slides on in there. And everyone's like, this is pretty cool stuff. And Blaine's like, God, me, Dr. Pepper. And Mr. Beck is like, I, where's the curate? I need some no coffee. Right? And he thought, we're all getting in there. And you know what the king of England's response is? Who are you people? What are you doing in my limousine? bunch of weirdos and why? he would immediately kick us out to the people with the big fluffy hats they would yank us out and throw us into the parking lot maybe a hundred feet away for two reasons he doesn't know us and we're dirty what? Yeah. he doesn't know us and we're dirty how can someone expect to go in the presence of God if they don't know him yeah. Jesus said that there will be many in that day let me read the verse Matthew seven twenty one says it's not everyone that saith unto me Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my father, which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day. This is talking about the end of all things in heaven, judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. Lord, Lord, this is people who thought themselves preachers. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in that name, in thy name and in thy name. They're doing ministry in God's name. And in thy names I've cast out devils. And in thy name have done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Let me ask you this question. One day, you will stand before, as all will, you will stand before God. Will you be one of those that God says, I don't know you, and he sends into hell forever? Or will you be one that he knows? You know, he, hey, you're one of my kids. You're one of my kids. Cho- I know we met before on earth. You weren't perfect there, but I love you, and I know you. Come on in. Come, come into heaven. Be with me forever. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Or will you be one that he says, I don't know you. We never met before. You can't be in my presence. You're still in your sin. You heard message after message, gospel presentation after gospel presentation, Gospel, my gospel, my good news was presented to you clearly time after time after time. You had so many chances, and because you just didn't want to drop your pride, depart from me forever and ever and ever and ever. Will you be one of those? Or will you be one that comes, that Christ welcomes in? The only way to know the Father is to go through the Son. You must come to Jesus in repentance and faith. Uh You must believe that Jesus is who he said he is and that you are who he said you are. You are a hell-deserving and hell-bound sinner just like I am. You have broken God's law. And you rightfully deserve to pay for and suffer for your sins for all of eternity. Let me say that again. You and I, we have broken God's law and we rightfully deserve, it is what I deserve, to pay for and suffer for our own sins for all of eternity. You and I are in desperate need of a savior. We are in desperate need of a savior because no good work you can do can save you. He is the one. And only true God. And He died and He rose again from the dead as a satisfactory payment for your sins. He is the only way to heaven and to peace with the Father. To enjoy God's presence, you've got to know it. You've got to come to Him on His terms, saying, God, you are who you said you are, Jesus. You are the Son of God. You died and you rose and you paid for sin, and your payment is the only good payment. It's the only payment that will do. I can't come to you. Lord, you're going to have to come to me. Save me. I don't deserve it. God, give me your grace. And you don't have to say it in that many words, but you get the point. We have to come to God in faith. Nothing else will do. I said, nothing else will do. You must recognize that you are a sinner that deserves hell. And it's just because of your own sin, but that Jesus was perfect and that his payment's enough and calling him for mercy. You don't have to earn it with good works. You'll never be good enough. It's not because of your heritage. People back in Israel in the old days when Jesus was here, they thought they were going to heaven just because they were Jewish. It's not because who your mom or who your dad is, who your grandpa are, or who, if you're related to some kind of a preacher or whatever, whatever. If you've got white skin, black skin, red skin, I don't care. Jesus says, if you want to come to me, you got to come on my terms and come drink of the water of life freely. Come drink of the water of life freely. Verse four. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. So the king of England, he kicked us out of his limo, guys. And it was honestly super mean of him. He didn't have a real nice tone in his voice, Cole. It wasn't super nice. He kicked us out because we didn't know him and because we were dirty. So God's not going to kick you out of heaven. We're talking about God's presence on earth now. And you can't experience, by the way, God's presence on earth if you're not saved. And God's presence on earth if you're dirty, if you're living unrepentantly in sin. John 13, we talked about this. Peter saith unto him, thou shalt never wash my feet. John 13 Jesus answered him, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, he that is washed needeth not, not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. Jesus is using this foot washing lesson Teaching them that when you're saved, you don't need to get saved every time you sin. Praise the Lord for that. I don't need to be, he doesn't kick me out and say, you're not my child anymore because you sin. No, when I sin, after I become a believer, after I come in Christ and I accept him as my Savior, I do still need to get clean every day. It's not all of me. Peter said, wash my hands, wash my feet, give me a a good old bubble bath, Lord Jesus. No, it's just my feet. So that's symbolic of where we go every day, what we do every day, what I step in every day. And we come with this spirit of humility, this spirit of contriteness, I mean brokenhearted, upset that we sin. Like when you lie, does it bother you? James says, be afflicted and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. There is something good. I said something good about being really upset about your sin. I'm not talking about beating yourself up. I'm saying, realizing that I have sinned and hurt the heart of my God, who loved me and gave himself for me, and gave himself for my sins. He took them all on himself on the cross, and I didn't care enough to watch myself and to try to stay clean. So coming in the spirit of humility to Christ and, and saying, Lord, I, I got dirty again. You please clean me, and you know what the great thing, brother Blank. The great thing about the Lord Jesus, He didn't say, "Yeah, you're right. Look at those. You got those socks dirty. You got your feet dirty." No, no, no. We if any man sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is. He's our friend. He's our helper. He's nice. So let me tell you this: If you hear somebody in your mind just beating you down and telling you you are worthless after you confessed your sin to God, that's not God. That is not God. We have an advocate. He's on our side. So an advocate, that'd be like a lawyer, right? So you see in your mind like a courtroom, right? There's the one side that's got the guy in the orange jumpsuit. And then to his left, he's got his lawyer. And on the other side, there's that other table in the road facing the judge. The judge is God. My lawyer is Jesus, and I'm the guy in the orange coat. And on this side, there's another lawyer trying to convict me. And the accuser of the brethren, that's the devil. So notice that the devil, he's already lost the case. But he keeps trying to accuse and keeps trying to accuse and telling my God and my Father all the wrong things I've done and who I am. And he's lying to God and accusing me to God. But Jesus, what he does, is says, Father, because he's ever living to make intercession for us and he's on my side and he says my father because the judge and the lawyer they're related and that, it sounds like a rigged court and it's rigged in our favor Amen. isn't that pretty cool Amen. that I'm the guy in the orange jump coat and Jesus just sets me free every time and God just sets me free every time He says I'll, you leave that sin here I've got a place for it it's as far as the east is from the west and I'll remove your transgressions from you. and that judge up there he'll remember your sins no more wow. isn't that awesome yeah. that when we sin and we come and repent to God and Jesus cleans this all up, don't let the devil tell you you're still dirty. Don't let him beat you up and tell, because, right, Bible says this, be not sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength we beat ourselves up so much that it makes us so weak that we can't fight the battles and then we keep sinning and then beating ourselves you guys see the the cycle we keep beating ourselves up and sinning and beating ourselves up and sinning, and beating ourselves up and we live in this god why am i always living in defeat well it's because you're defeating yourself you're beating i'm worthless and i'm not good enough i don't just but you keep repenting and god keeps cleaning you and he looks at you why are you still calling yourself dirty if you confess your sins i am faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness so why do we keep beating ourselves up we need to train ourselves that when i sin i should feel bad better believe it yeah. you should feel bad but take it to god and say god i'm so sorry i sin. i don't want to do it anymore please clean my feet clean my sin and jesus is like i got you And he cleans you all up and you're good and you have fellowship with Jesus Christ again, that closeness is restored. Don't let the devil accuse you. Don't believe his lies. Believe the scriptures instead. None of that's in this lesson, but we're good. Let's look at the verse again. Verse 4 He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. God wants us to be clean on the inside and on the outside. Do you guys see that? He that hath clean hands, and a pure heart, inside, outside. If I were to have a clean mug in my hand, let me grab it. a mug. This is my Stanley Cup, right? Uh-huh. So I got my Stanley Cup, barely any water in it. All right, so I take my Stanley Cup, and I, I got my big bucket of mud, that's what we've been playing in all day, right? So I just dip my big Stanley Cup, bloop, 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 and I get 40 ounces inside, outside of mud. Here's a stupid question, guys, is it dirty? Yes. Yes, it's dirty, okay, right? So I put this in the dishwasher an hour later, especially at my house. Bring it out, it's all nice, hot, and clean, right? So if I just carefully take a funnel, and I get no, nothing on the outside. But I take a funnel, I put it inside, and I slowly put mud in there, and I fill it to the top with mud. But the outside's it's clean. If I already put the lid on top and have it. Would, would you think it's dirty? Most people wouldn't. But if you look inside, you see the mud? It is dirty. Dirty, dirty, absolutely. <laughs> what if? What if I keep this inside perfectly clean? I mean, it is... <sharp inhale> like those cartoons, right. right? Yeah, the inside inside will be clean, but then I carefully take mud and I just cover the outside. Is it clean or dirty? Dirty. It's dirty, absolutely. It's dirty every time. So the point is to be clean in God's eyes, to have cleanness in his eyesight, you have to be clean inside and Outside for a mug to truly be clean, it must be clean inside and outside. So, why is it that we think that we can just play the show outside, do all the right things outside, be dirty inside in our thoughts and our actions, or in our our bitterness, in our unforgiveness, in our lustful thoughts inside? But on the outside, we look excuse me, quote unquote, clean, why is it that we're wondering, God, why are you not close to me? Why am I not experiencing God's presence? You're fooling yourself. And by the way, you can have all the the piety on the inside, but if you're always committing sins of omission, and I'm guilty of those, of not leading people to Christ, of of not showing acts of love outwardly, if you're dirty, either inside or outside, either way, you're dirty. And those things are things that need to be repented of. My brothers and sisters, we cannot deceive ourselves that we can just play the part of the Christian on the outside. And allow lust and bitterness and covetousness to stew in our hearts. We cannot have clean hands with a filthy and vile heart and think God will allow us into his presence. God in his love will not allow that. The psalm then gives us two examples of what dirty hands or hearts look like. Dirty heart example. Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity? Do you in your heart seek and desire vain and empty things? Is your soul filled with a desire for sin? And I don't just mean, do you have natural sinful desires? That is true of everybody. I ask, do you willingly and intentionally let your heart be filled with desires for empty things? Here's your dirty hands example. Nor sworn deceitfully. Do you make promises and not keep them? Do you say you will do something and not follow through. Do you make commitments that you don't keep? What will the clean person inside and outside get as a result? Verse 5. He shall receive. Awesome. He's going to get something. What's he going to get? He shall receive the blessing from the Lord. And righteousness from the God of his salvation. The word bless is overused in our culture. Yeah. Blessings are good things that do not come from God I'm sorry, blessings, good things that do not come from God can become curses. But all blessings that come from God are actual and legitimate blessings. They are completely good for us. One of those being righteousness. Brother Alex, how is righteousness a blessing? I, when I think of righteousness, Brother Alex, or when I think of blessings, Brother Alex, I think of cars and money and things and a wife and kids and, and you know success in my job and higher positions. How is righteousness a blessing. Well, it is a blessing because being righteous keeps us in the presence of God, which is better than any material thing. There's a song, yeah. "Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Right. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace." Righteousness is one of the best blessings that you can get from God. Ever heard the term the rich get richer? Ever heard that? The righteous get righteouser. That's kind of what happens. When you live righteously, God gives you more righteousness. And that keeps you in the presence of God. And that's part of your sanctification. You're growing closer to God and closer to God and closer to God. And you're wondering, why did I ever live for such empty things? Why did I lift my heart to to always only video games or lustful thoughts or let my mind be filled with this when Jesus is just so much better? And then you look at the world and people who are living that way. And you ask God, never let me be deceived like that ever again. Righteousness is an awesome blessing. And those who live righteous get more righteousness. As we close, and we are closing. Let's deal with the strangeness of verse 6. Everybody go there. This is the generation of them that seek him. That seek thy face, O Jacob. Selah. Let me read that again. It's a, it's a weird verse. This is the generation, this is the group of people, this is the age of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Don't you think it's weird that the people who are fulfilled, like the righteous people, and they're living righteously, and by the way, Jacob is dead at this point, that these, this is the generation of them, these righteous people, are the group of people who seek your face, Jacob. I remember that being a name of God. Well, it's not necessarily a name of God, but in Isaiah 49:3, just spoiler alert—I've already told her this. In Isaiah 49:3, Jesus is called Israel. It's a prophetic name. So when we're here in this passage, this is the best kind of solution I can come up with with this. Lots of commentaries. I know so not even Spurgeon knew that was his thing. He thought that God just named Himself Jacob for one verse. No, Jesus is the true and better Jacob. Yeah. Well, what do you mean by that? Jesus is like, so we'd say Jesus is the true and better Adam. Right. You know, the first man he's ever made. He's the true and better Adam because he was in the garden. Jesus was in his own garden, not Eden, but in Gethsemane. And he was tempted, but he never sinned. Amen. Right. Jesus wow. is the true and better Isaac. Jesus, he's the son of sacrifice. That like, yes, he went up that fearful mountain, and there he laid down his life. And this is a song. I really like the song. And Jesus is the true and better David. David, he was a lowly shepherd, but a mighty king. And Jesus is the good shepherd. He laid his life down for the sheep. And Jesus is the king of kings. And may I say, Jesus is the true and better Jacob. Well, how is that, brother Alex? Let me read it. One preacher said this. Not original with me. Got a guy by the name of Keller. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve. So we, like Jacob only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Let me say that. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserved. So we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Let's be the people who are described in this verse as those who are truly seeking Jesus' face, living unrepentantly in filth, inside or out. is not characteristic of one who's actually seeking Christ. Many people would say, I'm seeking Jesus. I'm living for Jesus. Yet their life says the opposite. Who are the genuine seekers of God? Who are the ones that experience his presence? The people who are not seeking God in Bible reading, and church attendance, but they are seeking him also in their lifestyle. It's not just about outward things or what we would think as religious stuff. That being a true seeker of Jesus Christ, my baby's upstairs that being a true seeker of the Lord Jesus Christ is not just in that but it's also in our lifestyle yeah. Lord Jesus